Hello everybody, welcome back again to the Financial Independence Europe podcast. In today's interview, I am interviewing Emma together with my amazing co-host Armenza. Hello, hello. And we're going to dive into the topic of what is financial independence in Europe, our personal stories around it, some numbers, how you can actually meet like-minded FI seekers, the big reveal of the dating app for financial independence interested people, and yeah, just a cool discussion with all of us and our personal stories around FIS. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today, I've got with me Emma from Firehub. Hey, Emma. Hi. And Arminta. Hello. In real life this time for once. Yes, in Edinburgh. In my living room drinking tea, so <laughs> always good. <laughs> okay, hey guys. So in today's interview, we'd actually like to cover um, what FI in Europe means. So obviously, we all know about financial dependence in the US. Came over to Europe and what the heck happens since that point? What's different about that? our personal stories and just kind of what we've seen over the last year change in Europe? So anyway, just kind of get started. Arminta, could you take it off with a quick breakdown of what FI is about and how it started? Sure. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but from my research, it seems that financial independence goes back over 800 years. We could say it kind of started with the stock markets. That was in Holland. That was the first stock market ever, which allowed normal people to invest in other people's companies. And that was pretty amazing because then you could kind of put your money somewhere and it would grow along with the economy. And from there, we could say it kind of took off in the 1970s when Jack Bogle founded Vanguard, which uh, allowed people to invest in index funds, which if you're part of the FI community, you are probably a big fan of and investing in yourself. And then around the dot-com bubble in the 2000s, there was this huge mania of investing in stocks and cashing out and then retiring early. It was crazy. And that kind of, that was a bubble in itself, you could say. And that crashed, sadly. And then in 2003, the first kind of FI blogger that I found was early uh, retirement extreme, Jacob. And he documents this journey from, you know, being working at a full-time job to retiring early. And from there, it kind of took off. And we've got a ton of other FI blogs, some of them interesting, some of them traditional, a bit of everything. And we're going to talk a bit about that today, what we think of financial independence blogs and communities in general, especially in Europe. I think that's quite interesting. So yeah, uh, Alvar, what would you say is different uh, in Europe versus the US, for example? So I think as actually as for motives, like I discovered five first through um, US blogs, Mr. Money Mustache, uh, the Mad Scientist, and back then also Dave Ramsey, partly, uh, which is not necessarily five, but just listening to their principles, why they wanted to reach five, why they, they wanted to become financially independent, not working 60 hours a week, uh, having decent health insurance, getting around all of that and kind of like all their reasons that don't really apply to me. Like, you know, I find, hey, fair enough if that's uh, good for the Americans, but I feel for myself in Europe, like for me, health insurance is covered. Pensions, there's a relatively okay system set up um, and I'm not working more than 35 to 40 hours a week in most jobs. For me, it's really about having options. Uh, building the either the kind of cash flow or the financial cushion to have 
choices and be able to walk away from a job if I don't like it. So it's really about being options. And like I grew up relatively poorly in some uh, times of my life. And that made me quite often just, yeah, it, it built me or it made me build up a scarcity mindset around money. And honestly, FI for me in many ways is also a tool of kind of like counteract against that. So for me, that's the kind of like the difference I feel personally yeah, between the US and well, mainly just like my personal feelings around that. And one thing I'm also not curious about, Emma, could she maybe also just quickly, uh, because we haven't properly asked it yet, introduce yourself and kind of like, you know, and how yeah, you feel FI Europe is different versus the US and how FireHub comes into that. Okay. I'm Emma White. I'm originally from Scotland, but while I started the whole fire thing, I was living in Germany with my husband and we discovered fire together. And then we started a blog around a year or two after we first discovered the whole concept called What Life Could Be. And through that, we started organizing meetups and that then grew into this fire hub monster project that we didn't expect to be a monster at the start. and. The reason that we did that was because there were so many blogs out there from the US and they were all talking about IRA, Roth IRAs and 401ks and what to do about health insurance and how to invest in Vanguard index funds. And while we loved the whole idea of FIRE, we couldn't do any of that stuff in Europe. We knew there must be some way of doing equivalent stuff, but how do you find that out? How do you know about that? So we decided that we wanted to A, blog about what we are doing and blog about our questions and our research, trying to find out how to apply the principles of FIRE in a Europe context and also to find other people in Europe because it's really lonely just sitting there at your computer in Europe and Germany and Scotland and Romania and reading all these US blogs about these people over 3,000 miles away having fun at meetups in America. That sounded pretty depressing, so we decided we should do something about it. That makes sense. And we're very glad you did, because along with that came an opportunity to connect more with fellow EU loggers and meetups and retreats and <laughs> podcasts, obviously. If you kind of like take it from there, like, Armento, where did your fire journey start? Like, where did you discover it? What does it mean to you? How did it change? Well, I, um, I've i talked about this a lot on the podcast, but for me, it was mostly through um, my own blog. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I realized that I knew nothing about uh, how money works. But I also understood that if I did understand and educate myself on money, then I'd be pretty much set for life. And although I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not sure if that's 100% true, I kind of set myself on a journey to learn as much as I could about money by writing about it. So I started this blog, Financially Mint, so I could, I would read some books on tax, on property investing, on index funds, and then I'd write articles about it. And that was a personal finance blog, essentially. And that kind of grew. And then I met Alvar at a FI meetup here in Edinburgh. And they kind of uh, snowballed from there. And although I'm not someone who exactly wants to reach financial independence, I am very uh, interested in the people who do and the community itself and, and you know, the education around it. So it's uh, it's been a very, very interesting journey. How did you discover it, Emma? Well, actually, my husband was a freelance web developer um, back in the day, and he got a job doing the German website for Robert Kiyosaki's wife. And he was just given a free copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So he read it. And then I read it 
and it didn't we kind of got it but it didn't really set us on fire we couldn't really relate to the idea of oh you should start a corporation so that you can put your flashy car through your corporation and then you don't have to pay for it it was more the thing that i took away from it is that i don't really know much about finance and i really should learn more about it because it's important and then i guess a few years later uh, we found the millionaire next door and early retirement extreme and then mr money mustache and that kind of got us thinking oh this is more accessible this is more in line with our values this is something we could do and it was really fun we just started investing in property we had no idea what we were doing at the beginning it was a very steep learning curve it was fun we were fortunate we didn't know it at the time but we were fortunate that we were investing when or we were buying property when the market was quite low i would not recommend buying property in the area of germany that we have our property now because prices are crazy uh, although interest rates are low which is good but yeah it was pure luck that we bought our properties when we did. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you also kind of got started with Richard Burden. Huh? That, that book yeah. really made a huge influence. Although, once again, if you read it again, or if I read it again, I'd be like, wow, there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't agree with. And the guy himself yeah. is really dodgy and weird and <laughs> someone I wouldn't follow either. But the, the fundamentals in the book are pretty... And it's an easy to read book, so you could give it to anyone and they'll be like, oh my God. Yeah, And it kind yeah. of snowballs from there. Yeah, the multi-level marketing stuff is a bit questionable. Oh but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. He's he's weird. And what about you, Albert? How did you first learn about FI and why does FI matter to you? Nice one. So if you ask me, why does it matter? It's really like I kind of explained this on previous episodes as well, but having the ability to kind of like manage and control my own life in terms of, okay, I've got this enormous stack of money sitting either in investments or in other ways which I can use to fund myself. I could literally right now decide to stop working and just not work for the next 10, 12 years and sit here in my flat in Scotland and just do nothing, which is obviously not what I'm intending to do. But having that option, it creates freedom. And it's it's about having having that opportunity. That, that's why, it, honestly, that's why it matters to me. But if you then ask me, okay, how did I discover uh, this? How did I learn more about that? It really started... Uh, sadly enough with Dave Ramsey and MLMs, which Lovely. might sound weird, but years and years back, there used to be um, this MLM platform called uh, Plan B for You in the Netherlands and, and lots of other countries. It was a complete scam. But uh, as a student, it was like, oh, let's throw 100 euro in there. Let's earn some passive income through it and see how that goes. Obviously, the whole plan went bust and didn't <laughs> earn anything through it. Cashed out, uh, luckily enough, in advance. But that was kind of like the first time I really touched, okay, hey, there are ways to earn passive income. This is maybe not the right way, but let's go on. And at that point, uh, a couple of years after that, I walked into Dave Ramsey and started to binge watch his YouTube videos. And he has this uh, things where he has debt-free screams where people <laughs> who have 300k in student loans uh, pay that off and their mortgages go in there and scream around and like, hey, I paid self, which, you know, obviously is a very, very American thing to do. But at that point, it was like, oh, this is everything. This is amazing. I have to learn how these guys do this without realizing there were small communities in Europe doing the same, but just like missing, you know, like kind of like the community expect still here. And then fast forward another couple of years in 2016, I was working on the construction site and I banged my head against the metal bar. And after that, I had months and months to do nothing in bed. And what did I do? I listened to the Met Scientist, this podcast. That's also when I really started to get hooked to podcasts. Like I really love listening to him. I binge listen to all his episodes. Um, 
I just was really impressed by that. And from there, I found, obviously, I found FireUp. I found all the other blogs, the European ones, and slowly grew into it. And then, yeah, early, well, actually, end 2017, uh, sitting uh, with Matthias first on, over Facebook. And then um, a couple of months later, after meeting Arminta in a bar, just kind of like realizing, hey, you know, we want to do more. And why is there no podcast? There's so many American podcasts, but we're just missing the European perspective. Then, honestly, once we started the podcast, it really fast for what it is for me, what I learned, the people I met, and how I came in touch with financial independence. And honestly, where it's also really about this community, meaning like-minded people, whereas because like many people would consider me weird in terms of how I deal with money and approach things in life. And not necessarily the people in the fine movement are weird, but we don't think like the standard ways society does. We don't accept just simple, oh, you know, I have to work 40 years, so I'll just do that. We think differently. We're willing to take risks and we're willing to think beyond what's standard. So it's really beyond just, okay, hey, this this is a way or a method for me to simply either work less, work more where I'm caring about. It's also community. It's finding like-minded individuals. Uh, and yeah, that's really like why I am doing it uh, at this moment. Yeah. What would you say, Armenta? How's it been for yourself? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, uh, anyone who listens to the podcast will know that um, my journey has kind of taken me in a different direction. Upon discovering financial independence and learning about the movement, and after learning a lot through the podcast, I realized that I I really needed to make my career a priority. And I decided to make a priority kind of figuring out exactly what fits me best in terms of uh, whether it's a business or or what industry. And, and so I spent quite a few months and a couple of years kind of exploring what it is that I truly want to do. And at the moment, I call myself a fintech copywriter. So I write articles and content. So that could be also reports and copy for fintech startups. It's quite linked to financial education because these startups also are into educating their users. But I feel that through these fintech startups, I'm also they provide tools, right? A lot of people aren't financially educated because they can't be bothered to read a book or a blog. Okay, that's fine. But then if you are if you have to use a tool, then you're automatically in the action of educating yourself, whether that could be a Revolut or you're suddenly, you can seal your expenses, or that could be something like international payments, like TransferWise, for example. When you use TransferWise, you're going to have to figure out how that works. So I'm still very much in the financial education space, but more as a tool uh, rather than content. And so, yeah, financial independence has kind of brought me to prioritize kind of my own career, but also has taught me a lot on the importance of educating others, I guess. And that's also translates into my own work. So it's been a funny ride and I'm, I'm nowhere close to finish. So we'll see where it goes. I don't really know. No, oh, and I think the last note I've got on that was as well. In the beginning, I was really like, okay, I want to earn as much money as possible, move to Switzerland, earn 150K <laughs> and just, you know, get this over within six years and retire on some random beach. But honestly, after a couple of years of doing this, it's just not really where it's about anymore. No, yeah. it, it's really, I've learned the financial education aspects of automated everything I can. My life is as efficient as possibly can be. And there's just nothing to gain from that perspective anymore. So I'm really grateful financial independence gave me that. But now I'm honestly ready to move to the next part. I'm going to leave everything running on autopilot. Uh, but yeah, same as Armin, I mentioned, focus on my career, focus on my happiness, um, traveling and just quality of life, 
mainly and financial independence will be the tool for me to it doesn't just get that done faster versus if I had not. But there's no rush. No, exactly. But just like there's no rush, but I can do it now instead of having to wait 50 years, I can do it in five. But it's also because we are in Europe that we're not in such a rush. If we had True. like 70 hour work weeks and extremely high expenses in a high cost of living area with crazy health insurance, then maybe we'd be in a big rush. But we're not because, you know, we're in we're in cozy countries and comfortable. Europe are good curious, Emma, have you had any similar experiences yourself? Difficult to say, I guess. The way I feel about FI now, I think we're four or five years into FI, is completely different to how I felt when we first found out about FI and when I first became FI. Because at the, when I first discovered it, I was more running away from a job I hated. I was more thinking, focusing on what I was running away from and not really thinking about what I was retiring to. Whereas now, obviously, I've been FI for f- since, I think, s- summer 2015. Um, so quite a while now. And my mindset about FI has completely changed. Something I see a lot in a lot of the FI blogs are that this people see the people who are working towards FI, they kind of see... FI is this magic wand that's going to fix everything in their lives and they just need to get to that number and then everything in their whole life will be wonderful and there'll be rainbows and unicorns and it's all going to be great. Unfortunately, I'm FI, but I still have to take out the trash. I still have to wash the dishes. Uh, Actually, one of my favourite quotes from our uh, Financial Independence Week Europe this last year in Budapest was, I may be FI, but my foot still hurts. So becoming FI fixes the money aspect of your life. It gives you options. It gives you security. It gives you choices. But you also really have to know what you're going to do with your life. And I kind of worry about some of the bloggers or some of the people I see in comments or meetups who are worried about what they're going to do when they become FI. They're going to have all this time to fill. Whereas for me, that's completely opposite. I could live seven lives on all the stuff I want to do my I want to do all sorts of gardening projects, grow my own vegetables. I want to learn 10 billion languages. I want to just do so many things and I'm never going to be able to do everything. Even though I don't work now, I still have this incredibly full life, this incredibly busy life. And I don't know how I would fit in having a job. My life is not perfect, but I really enjoy having the headspace. It's more about having the headspace to think about things, to question things and to try and work out, okay, what can I do to make my life happier, better, more relaxed, more efficient. I honestly love how you're describing that in the sense of, you know, you got all the money in the world, like as an enough to live off of until you die, but it still doesn't make life perfect. And we're all still human beings and we still cry if things go wrong, still stress if like everything in life hits us at once. And yeah, not having to work you know, is obviously amazing and the whole world will be jealous on it. Uh, but yeah, it it's still again. It, it is just life, and I also love how you mentioned in terms of like just the comments and discussions around blogs. We're sometimes seeing or on Reddit where people are just like, "Hey, I'm gonna save a 400k." They were probably like me, like two or three years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's how we all start. <laughs> it, yes, but it's you now it, it's funny to see that a lot of people kind of go through similar phases, and some people I talk to who reach fine, you know, they actually have things planned out, 
and it works and they live an amazing life. Others plan it really well, but and then they realize after doing it for three months, they get unhappy. Yeah, they go, um, example, uh, yeah, young Fi guy, we interviewed him a while ago, but he went back to work. <laughs> it, no, he didn't really. I thought he went back to, he work. Didn't go back to work. Yeah, he did go back to work just like three days a week. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they didn't pay him or something like that, right? Uh, I think they do pay him. I think it's like a proper job where he gets paid. Oh. But he just really, really, really loves financial analysis and he would do it at home on his own. So he's, he really needs to be in that environment and work and use his skills because I assume I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's the impression I got. Honestly, I will also keep working up to a certain extent, not full time and maybe not necessarily physically as an office, but one or two days a week, either a charity or a startup or just a simple job in a cafe or whatever to speak to some people like, yeah, honestly, I have no issues working always a little bit, but it shouldn't be the main purpose of life or just for the sole goal of earning money. I, I think that's the main difference for me. For me, what scares me a little bit, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Emma, that for example, a fellow 18-year-old, let's just say, who said, who discovers FI and then is like, oh my God, yes. And then uh, goes to a high-paying job and works their ass off and then to retire, what, at, you know, 28 or something. And I just feel like there's something a bit wrong there because, you know, I feel that, I don't know, work gives us purpose. It, there are different kinds of work, right? And maybe an office job is, is not for everyone. But I think there's, you know, a career is something that you're supposed to, I don't know, if you discover it from the, from the beginning, I feel that you have then the, the choice or the options to really make sure it's something that you like. I don't know if you'd agree or if I'm just inventing it, but. I suppose there, it depends on how you see it. I mean, some 18 year olds who discover five, uh, if I would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go and become an investment banker. I'm going to work for I don't know, five, 10 years, really at the top, earn six-figure salaries, and then I'm going to retire. Um, I will hate the, I'll hate being an investment banker, but I'm going to make the money and then I'm going to retire. And then there's others who would think more along the same lines that you're thinking as rather than have a horrible life for a few years and then retire to nothing, to actually design your life from the beginning in a way that you have a career that you like, job that you like, lifestyle that you like. I guess it really depends on the type of person. Think possibly if I had discovered FI when I was that kind of age, okay, I wouldn't have become an investment banker, but I would have probably done stuff differently and I would have been a bit more impatient, I think. And quite glad that I didn't discover FI until a bit later on. So I had had chance to have a career. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, you would still do it all over again, I guess. Um... I suppose, yeah. Um, I'm very glad that I had the opportunity to work in a couple of really huge corporate international companies just to see on the inside what that life is like and to know for myself, okay, I don't want that. I've tried it. I don't want that. But if you never have that, I'm not sure if you can make the right kind of judgment about that. I don't know. That's true. I guess you could call it some kind of form of testing, right? You, you yeah. tried it and now you can be like, okay, that's not for me. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. have you would have never known, I guess, if you hadn't gone. Yeah. When I was a student, there was a careers uh, talk given by a woman who worked for one of the companies that I did end up working for. And she made it sound absolutely like a utopia. There's a gym and there's a canteen and you get this and you get that and all these benefits. And she made it sound like 
paradise. And when I got there after about three or four years, I was like, oh my God, this is shit. I hate this. So it really depends. You have to try things out and not just believe what people tell you about things. That's true. And it's it's funny that you that it was your colleague that said it's going to be amazing. Because a lot of things that, and Alva and I were just talking about this a few days ago, that when you don't know something, it's good to ask people who have done it and see if that's something for you. And it's funny that in your case, you did ask and they made it sound amazing and it wasn't your thing. So that's really, that's really interesting. Alvar, how was your, would you start all over again if, I don't know, if you had discovered fire at 16, imagine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've always been like just a little bit too frugal uh, in, in times. But if I had discovered like the, what I wrote now, right now about fire and about personal finance, I think I would have done a lot of things differently. Like there were quite a few trips I said no to because, oh, that's 300 euro. I don't want to do this X, Y, Z. Um, so I really think I would have honestly just enjoyed life a little bit more, spend a little bit more, um, probably also work less. I worked nice. almost full-time as a student next to a full-time study just because it was like, oh, I need to save and I cannot take out loans. I need to earn more and more. Um, and I was earning far far more than I actually needed hmm. because I was oh, then I can buy more stocks and this and that. So now, honestly, if I would go back in time and I would know everything I know right now, I would probably have just relaxed a little bit more, enjoyed life. Uh, would I have changed my studies? Maybe, but not really totally different. Because if you ask me what would be objectively the easiest way, computer science, go to Switzerland, earn 100k. <laughs> now, honestly, could have... But if you don't like it, you're not going to survive no, there for long. Exactly. That's the thing. You're simply not going to be happy. But could I have done that? Yeah. But it's just, that's not the point of life. Yeah, look at Mr. Rip. He does that. Um, he doesn't seem that happy. Really? Oh, no, not as much. Yeah, no, I've been reading his articles for the last months. And nobody's saying it himself. He's just kind of like done a little bit with working like this. And the guy, I really love the way he writes. He is so funny and just, I don't know, just a really free, informal writing spirit. But yeah, sometimes you do see the sentence a little bit through it. And yeah, and I guess also the same for the Metfiantist. Like mm, he was... Yeah depressed like for, <laughs> no, no, no but that, that's also he wrote it himself like yeah. for periods just okay hey i don't know what to do and really trying to get to financial independence he recorded one episode um i forgot the exact name but his wife wrote a letter to him uh regarding her feelings around money whereas at the same time he was completely focused on it and like oh i need to earn and save as much as possible and it's a while ago since i listened to this episode but the context of that really kind of like was like for me okay even the people in the US who earn 100k and are the web developers under us, like it's, it's yeah, it's not not utopia. We're all still people, so I think the moral of this whole story is at least my take from it: we're all people, and our responsibility, as well as five podcasters and bloggers, is to you know spread the message. There is more than earning 100k and saving everything. This is because just saying I'll oh, do X Y Z and you'll be fine. That's mm. almost irresponsible. Yeah. Like, you know, we have to give people the full picture and experience the good and the bad. And also, like, you only have one life. So don't torture yourself for 10 years just so you have a few years of bliss, which are not even guaranteed, right? Because you might, mm. you might still die. be, okay, well, okay, you might die, but you also <laughs> might not be happy also. So, you know, you only have one life, but we'll see. So, guys, just a little bit of context and some numbers around the five movement in Europe right now. So I actually find these numbers quite amazing. So let's just get started with FireHub. So 21, so 2,190 members 
as of uh, the 20th of January 2020, which is nuts. And Emma, you probably know the growth of the numbers better than I do. But every time I check those numbers or like probably last time I saw this like a year ago, but it's going up massively. And then on top of that, Financial Independence UK, the second biggest group, uh, 1,821 members. Sorry, which, this is Facebook groups. Yeah, Facebook groups, yes. Yeah, exactly. So Facebook groups. And then next, our own group, Five Europe Podcast, uh, 609. Running, uh, I believe just six, seven months. So pretty happy with that one. And then the Reddit groups. These are just kind of the groups I mainly follow and I found the biggest in the most context. So that's why I'm mentioning them. If there are more, guys, please let us know because maybe we're missing massive ones. So to get started, Dutch Fire. 8,000 members, uh, small little country, 17 million people go Netherlands, Europe Fire, 15,900, and the biggest of all, uh, Fire UK, 17,300, wow. which is just, I still remember like six, seven months ago, that was 10,000. So just in terms of numbers, like how many people actually uh, joining in, go to meetups, go to events. I mean, we've seen it in our own download numbers and bloggers we meet who mention like millions and millions of page views. Over years, I mean, those things, that is really cool. And yeah, I guess when, because this movement, like here in Europe, we're still young. In the US, it's been around for, what is it now, obviously? 2003. 2003, yeah. Heck yeah, so 17 years. And whereas in Europe, I mean, people knew about it, but it's still early days. It's growing, mm-hmm. and but it's still, it's still really, really small. We're not the hundreds of thousands of people like we've got in the US yet. We might get there, we might not get there, but it's, yeah, we're still just young, but I still find these numbers and the way they've been growing, like year over year, just cool and inspiring. And the people who go and go into these groups and ask questions, it, yeah, I find that really awesome. Do you have any kind of like similar experiences yourself and why you see like massive uh, growth uh, of the fire group? Because like the amount of comments and discussions in fire is, is seriously nuts. Yeah, the one of the big ones you missed is an Estonian group that has 22,971 members, apparently at the moment. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening under the radar because not many people know Estonian. But I want to know more about how 22,000 people in Estonia are into FIRE. Um, I think that's really, really cool. And that's kind of why we started FireHub as a way to kind of pull all the information together to kind of get all the links to all these groups together. We made a page with all the all the groups that we can find. I'm sure there are more that we don't know about. I just think this is amazing because it didn't happen. This is really in the last two, three years that this has happened. I mean, when we started out, we would basically, the only way to find people was the Mr. Money Moustache Forum and commenting on each other's blogs. But that has severe limitations. So that's basically, it's complete 180 change in the last couple of years. Nice one. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. 22,000 Estonia. I didn't expect that. I heard, I've heard great things about Estonia. So I'd love to go visit. But it's, yeah, there are many, many small pockets in countries with Reddit groups and Facebook like groups. Switzerland. It, yeah. yeah Swiss, I mean, Switzerland, if we look at download numbers, Switzerland is relatively big for a really small country. Mm. There's so many bloggers from there. I mean, same for the Netherlands and Belgium. Like there are quite a few bloggers for really small countries, whereas like France, there's not... March. No, no, and Germany is massive as well. The UK really, you know, UK itself is larger than anything and everything in Europe combined firewise. Really? Yeah. yeah. Apart from Estonia. <laughs> Apart yeah. from Estonia, yes. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that Estonian group is that, that it's in Estonian. So this is not expats or people getting Estonian e-residencies and then being in this group. This is like proper native Estonians. 
It's really interesting. So should, we, we can't. Filter. I should join that group. Well, we can't. Re- well, we you understand kids. much, would we? Uh, true, but the, <laughs> but the idea is cool. And I mean, I went to Estonia. Like, I really like the spirit of that country is amazing. But anyway, uh, so just to quickly mention a few other things, because obviously for all of us, it's also important. Like, how can we actually meet people? Because obviously this community is amazing, but how can I meet people face to face beyond commenting on a blog? Like, hey, can I meet with you for a coffee, stranger? At, um, in Amsterdam at this time, because there are actually events with real life people coming up. Um, for example, the one I'm organizing tomorrow together with Araminta Woohoo. at Money Dashboard. And hopefully, we're 25 people signed up. We'll see how many come. It's but- a free pizza and beer event. So that's next level kind of FI. Like we're being sponsored by a company, which is quite exciting, actually. Yeah, Money Dashboard, actually, because I interviewed their CEO a couple episodes back. And through actually a listener of the podcast mm-hmm. who got me in touch with the CEO who arranged the interview. That's uh, pretty amazing. Yes. So shout out to Jonathan, but who will be there tomorrow as well. But like those um, kind of principles, you know, that's where it's about community. So obviously, you know, my little meetup is small, but if you go to London, they've got a massive one running, sometimes over a hundred people uh, coming in. I know there are also really big ones in Dublin organized in yeah, by Michael. Um, they got big ones running. So I know of those. Emma, can you maybe run us through a couple of the meetups you are aware of and you've joined yourself? One of the things about the London meetups and these really, really big meetups, I went to one myself a couple of years ago and it was just crazy huge. Uh, There were so many people you couldn't possibly talk to everyone. You had to shout to hear what the person across the table was saying. It was really, really valuable, but it was big. And I've also heard from a couple of other people in London that they find those kind of meetups overwhelming. So I think it is really nice to have smaller, quieter meetups where you get a chance to talk to more people in depth and not just feel overwhelmed and claustrophobic. We also did that experiment with our annual meetup. It's called Financial Independence Week Europe. And my husband, who is not an English native speaker, came up with the acronym which is F-I-W-E and is pronounced five, according to him. But there has been a lot of confusion about that. So we're thinking about rebranding. We always held meetups with 25 participants up till now, except for last year when we just had too much demand and we were too, I don't know, too soft to turn everyone away. So we ended up with 50 people for a weekend conference in Budapest. And while I'm glad that we tried it out, we accepted all those people and we got to meet them, I think the group size was just too big. So I think it's nicer to have smaller meetups, which is why for this year we have decided to split things up rather than just have our one event. We're going to have our event in Timisoara in Romania. Details will follow in the next few weeks. Uh, There's also going to be a similar event in Madrid, probably in the autumn. There was already one uh, in October last year organized by two participants who came to Budapest and liked the idea. And then one of the other Firehub organizers, founder organizers, is hopefully going to also organize a five spin-off event in Austria or Slovenia sometime in the summer, hopefully with some kind of outdoors theme. So maybe like a hiking weekend or something like that. And we also have to mention our dear friend Cheesy in the Netherlands, who is organizing Castle on Fire, um, which is actually going to be in France. I think in May, and that's also going to be a smaller group of people. So I think that's a really good idea to have smaller groups of people where you can have more intense conversations. Nice one. I definitely hope to join a few of those myself when possible. And 
I can I guess and also last and final um the Fire Europe podcast uh, retreat which we organized the last years uh, is most likely not going to happen uh, this year why because the practical consequences around it having to organize it is just not feasible for us as uh, organization at this very moment so we've tried to find others who could take over but just haven't been able to find the, the right kind of people to really take over the entire organization of the retreat so we decided um, a couple of days back to just say okay then this is not the right moment for us to do it we might do it again next year or at some other point uh, but at this very moment there's no retreat scheduled like the same as in last year um, if things miraculously turn around or somebody comes up and yeah, shout out to people. It's like, hey, I happily organize one uh, and invest all the time in it. Please let us know because we would we really love meetups and that kind of retreats. But yeah, they do come with a lot of work and stress. So also everybody who listens to this, if you know an organizer of a retreat, like yeah, people put a lot of effort and time in getting them running. And it sometimes looks easy, but it's definitely, if no. anybody's ever done any event management, yeah, they are quite hard. So yeah, anyway, this very moment, no retreat, hopefully one next year. And yeah, let's go from there. Yeah, we, we just realized that um, the, th- the three of us have kind of full-time jobs and uh, well, or one is a freelancer, but the other ones have full-time jobs and a family. So it's a bit, it's a bit complicated. Um, so yesterday was, yesterday, last year I was quite rushed and we'd want to do things properly this year, but we don't, we haven't really found the, the time to do that. And the practical ways are out. And it's just little things like uh, locations demanding a 10,000 euro deposit yeah. simply for you know a group of like 40 people for like, you know, say 25,000 euro booking total. And yeah, those amounts, yeah, just having to cover that personally was just too much at this point. So yeah, we'll see you again next year. And um, yeah, anyway, to slowly uh, round up the episodes, Emma, thank you so much um, for coming on with us discussing this i really enjoy this if anybody wants to learn more about yourself about firehub where can they go uh well just go to firehub.eu and that's where everything happens we basically push out all the information about meetups events everything on there another really exciting thing we have in the pipeline not personally us but one of our attendees from five budapest um, is he, we actually volunteered him. Um, he is creating a fire dating app because um, we realized that there are single people, lots of single people in, interested in fire. And it was actually at the Fire Madrid conference in October. It was Michael from the Irish Fire podcast hit the nail on the head saying, if you're interested in fire, you're working towards fire, but your partner is working against you, you have no chance. So we thought it would be kind of cool to have a dating app to let people within the fire community find other like-minded fire enthusiasts. We don't know how well it's going to work yet. It's still in early stages of development, but all information is going to be pushed out on Firehub as soon as we have a prototype up and running. That's so funny. The only thing that I'm thinking is that since uh, fire single people are all over Europe, <laughs> going on a date will be like taking the plane, right? <laughs> because we're all quite... Um spread across Europe. So it's going to be, I guess, we is the app going to be for one specific city or is it going to be for Europe or? Um, I think it's going to be general at the moment, but then, yeah, it's going to need a critical mass before it actually takes off. But we just thought it was a fun idea to try out, see where it goes. 
yeah, and it was actually Sonia from Money for the Modern Girl said at the the in Budapest's retreat as well. Yeah, like the US always is always first with everything. Why can't we be first with something? We should do this. We should totally do this. The first fire dating app. I love that. Yeah. I, I agree. And I guess once it goes live, we'll definitely um we'll definitely add it to the show notes and uh, help spread the word so many people will start A dating and meet uh, fellow fire like minded uh people. Nah. Anyway, well, actually on a very last note, because I know um, Fireball has a very cool calendar tool where you can see all the um, events organized around Europe with locations and dates. Well, we're going to link to that one in the show notes because I think that's the best overview you're going to find of everything that's being organized. Yeah. And if you know of anything that we've missed, if you know of a group we've missed, please let us know. Yeah, I'll send the link to the FIE Europe groups page. We can put that in the show notes and then... If there's anything we've missed, we're really happy to find new things and add new things to our page. So, yeah, help us out. Perfect. Anyway, let's uh, round up the episode then. Emma, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. And good luck with your event tomorrow in Edinburgh. I hope I will be joining you at some point, maybe in Easter. Yes. Thank you so much. This episode is sponsored by Mintos and Mintos is the largest peer-to-peer marketplace for European investors and offers a big selection of loans worldwide with regular returns of up to 12% per annum. And FI Europe listeners get 0.5% cashback bonus on their initial deposits. Head over to financial-independence.eu slash Mintos for more information. And the link will also appear in the show notes. Please note we are no financial advisors, so please do your own research. And by using the referral link, you will also support us to cover the costs of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.